The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Awesome. Cool. You know, that felt very sincere. That was awesome. Hey, if I haven't met you, my name is Jesse. I'm the youth and young adults pastor here at the church. Uh, simply what that means is that if you are like 12 to 30-ish, um, I'm kind of over those ministries. And so if I have not met you yet, would love to at some point. If you're wondering, man, what does ministry look like for that broad of an age group? I don't know. Like, come help out sometime. We'll, we'll, we'll teach you. But I'm excited to be here today to be able to share just a little bit in our series, James, Back to the Basics. We'll be in chapter three today talking about the power of the tongue. And if you need something to take notes on, or maybe you simply are interested in doing some further reflection and study. In the seat backs in front of you, we have these handouts for notes. Uh, there's a spot you can take notes. There's different questions. These are also the questions we process through in a life group setting as well. But they also translate well to a time of personal devotions. Uh, maybe you're going to talk about them in group. You want to review them later as well. That's totally cool. But make sure you grab one of these today. Uh, like I said, we are talking about the power of the tongue. And we'll be in James chapter 3. And as I was preparing for this message, I was reminded of a time when I was in high school where I really should have reined in something that I said. And how it all started was I think I was like a sophomore, maybe a freshman in high school, and me and a couple of buddies were hanging out outside the church. It's summertime, so I have a water bottle in my hand that I'm drinking. And I see one of our uh, youth leaders come driving up and I think, man, it would be funny if I just like sloshed some water on like his windshield or something, right? It's Washington. That's a pretty normal thing. Water on the windshield, it happens. And so he's, he's driving up and I slosh the water, not knowing that one of my brother's best friends who love to pick on me is riding shotgun. And he says, dude, Jesse just took like a full bottle of water and just pelted it at your car. Totally different things, right? Because if you've held like a bottle of water, I'm sure we all have, you know, that's got some weight to it. Like if you throw that, like you're going to dent something, you're maybe going to break a window. And yet he goes and tells this guy that that was what I did. So understandably, the guy pulls over the car, he gets out, he's in like this fit of rage, he comes up, he starts yelling at me. And I'm like, okay, dude, like, you know, chill. This guy's probably like 6'2", like 240. I'm like 5'11", 140 pounds. Like that's not a fair matchup at all. And so I'm standing there. And then he starts to walk away to go back inside. And it's one of those moments for me where inside I just feel the Holy Spirit like screaming at me to like shut my mouth. And yet I can't control it. And in this particular moment, I noticed his jeans had like sagged down a little bit. And so I can see like his boxer shorts. I can see the pattern. It's like this bright red color, like all that. And I remember as he's walking away, I just said, hey, bud, like your underpants. How do you think that went for me? <laughs> so he turns around, he comes back up. Um, this is all when Nick is my youth pastor, by the way, which makes the story even more funny. And he comes up to me. This was not Nick, by the way. Um, <laughs> and this, <laughs> this leader grabs me by my shirt, lifts me up in the air, and proceeds to yell in my face again. And in that moment, you have that moment of just like, man, I messed up in a really big way today. And the reason I shared this story, as silly as that is, or as traumatic as it was, is that for many of us in this room, we can identify moments where we wish we would not have opened our mouth. 
And I say this to highlight the fact, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Our words may seem small, but they carry a great power. A lot of us in this room, we grew up hearing phrases like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never. And it sort of taught us this mentality that, you know, if I just have a thick enough skin, um, or maybe, hey, you know, if I'm sarcastic, sarcastic to someone and they get offended, that's their kind of their deal. I'm just trying to be funny. But we're sort of raised with this mentality that our words don't carry that much of an impact. And in reality, that's actually contrary to Scripture. You see, our words actually carry the power for great good and also for great evil. What I mean by this is how many of us in our life, and you can vote on this by raising your hand, have had your mood noticeably improved by a compliment that you got from someone, right? Most of us in this room would say that that's been the case. And whether it's someone compliments your hair, your outfit, how good of a job you did at work, um, you know, guys or like gals in the room, if you like love mowing your grass and you have specific patterns and your neighbor's like, man, that's awesome, you know, like that boosts your mood quite a bit. And there's also on the flip side of that, though, that many of us can remember moments where someone has said something to us that has hurt us deeply. And it may have been intended to do so. Maybe it was just meant to be a joke. And yet we carry the pain from things that people say. To dig a little bit deeper than this, many of us, if we're honest, as we reflect on our life and relationships, can identify a few moments where we have said something that wasn't okay, that has caused hurt and inflicted pain on another person. As I reflect on the past few years, and as we talk about this conversation of speech, I'm even reminded, coming through COVID, coming through all of the cultural polarization we experienced, and understanding the fact that there are probably people in this room where, if not you, but someone you know, currently is not speaking to someone else that you used to consider a friend or family. As we go into the holidays, how many of us have family members where we know they're not going to show up to a certain function or get together because of something that was said? The reality for us is that our words carry great impact. And so the tension that you and I now have to figure out is how do we use our speech in a way that honors Christ? Because if there is speech in our words and our life from people directed to us or at others that is causing destruction and division and broken relationships and pain, that speech is not of Jesus. James addresses this topic for us in chapter 3. And a little bit of background on James. Uh, James is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And specifically, he's writing this letter to a group of Jewish Christians who have most likely been scattered by persecution. So he's writing to these people, trying to encourage them and challenge them and sometimes call them out on different aspects of what it means to live a Christian life that honors Jesus. Uh, We know from James 1.22 that a big theme of this passage is not just to be a hearer of God's word, but also a doer. Our faith is meant to be lived out in action. And for us today, what better opportunity opportunity to do this than in our speech and the things we say. This passage is a little interesting in chapter 3 as a little bit of background because James opens up talking about leaders in the church. And we'll read this together and then we'll unpack that a bit. But James chapter 3 verse 1 through 5 says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. 
We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. Even though the winds are strong, in the same way the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for the opportunity to be able to communicate your truth today. And God, I pray that as we go through this passage, as we talk about our speech, uh, God, that that would even begin with me as I communicate today. God, let the things that I communicate and say today, Lord, be honoring of you and in alignment with your truth. God, open all of our hearts and our minds and our ears to you today. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes today, I want you to write this down. The tongue can determine direction. And it's interesting because as you dive into this passage, what we see again is James starts with dealing with leaders in the church. And I believe one of the reasons for this is because what is communicated publicly in a church setting can influence the direction of the body of Christ. For some context, James is likely addressing some form of dissension or division that is going on. Maybe it's some kind of a fracturing of community, and he's saying, hey, first, the way of navigating that and some of the consequences is from what those who teach in the church are saying. Beyond this, James then goes and paints a broader picture. He says, indeed, we all make many mistakes. And I don't know if you know this, but the person you're sitting next to in this room has made many mistakes. Uh, Do not look at your spouse right now. Do not. (laughs) Keep your eyes up here, okay? But we all make mistakes. And James highlights again with these illustrations in this passage the tongue's power to determine direction. The first one that James begins with is a bit in the mouth of a horse. And how many of you have actually like ridden a horse before? Okay, it's like a really common thing, I think, for a lot of us, but it was something that, maybe not for everybody, but it was something that I didn't do as an adult until just a couple years ago. Joy and I were away at Ocean Shores. We had just officiated a wedding for some friends, and we thought, hey, we got some time to kill. Like, I don't know, let's go do the horseback riding, because why not? And no sooner had I gotten on the horse did I realize that riding a horse is not as simple as the movies make it out to be. And you've seen the movies, right? Like the horse is like galloping by and then you have like the hero who like grabs onto the saddle while this horse horse is like, not hearse, horse is at a full like gallop, swings himself up into the saddle, you know, starts like shooting bad guys with a bow and arrow. Like it looks so effortless, right? Like that's what it looks like in the movies. And yet I get on this horse and right away, I realize that this horse uh, does not want to respond to where I'm trying to lead it to go. And I'm falling behind the rest of the group. The horse is trying to drift into like other horses. And the guide actually comes up and gets kind of frustrated with me. She's like, no, you have to like do this and use this technique and pull back and like whatever. And also your horse has an attitude today actually. So that's probably not helping. (laughs) I remember thinking, what does a horse have an attitude about? Like. I don't know, I'm not having a better time than you, clearly, so let's just get this over with, right? But the reason I share this illustration is because I think James uses it intentionally. Because in that culture, in that society, horses are very useful. Transportation, moving big heavy things, plowing fields, like whatever you want to use a horse for, and yet it is all pointless and meaningless unless it is directed by the bit in the mouth. For you and I, in our relationships, our speech has the power to direct and determine some of our relationships and situations in either positive or negative ways. A few examples of this. If you're in here today and you oversee employees in a work context, how you speak to your employees 
could potentially impact the direction of them continuing on at your company. In the same way, if you have a boss that you report to, then how you speak to and about your boss to coworkers has an impact on the direction of that job. Right. Yeah. Parent, yes, thank, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Pastor Nick, sir, right? <clears throat> Parents in the room, how you speak to your kids is a big deal. How you encourage them, how you discipline them, how you navigate the different things that come with life matters greatly. Why? Because it can impact who they're becoming in the future, what they believe to be true about life, about themselves, and about a faith in Jesus. For all of us in this room, when it comes to the random everyday people we encounter, whether it's someone here in the lobby, whether it's a barista, whether it's a clerk at a gas station, we don't know what these people are going through. And yet sometimes we can have the mentality, maybe not consciously of, oh, well, I'm late, they made it worse, whatever, and we can say and unload whatever we want to do. In reality, though, we don't know what those people are walking through, and our words actually have the power to steer those moments and conversations in a really positive way that shines the light of Jesus. Just as James says, our words really impact direction. Something I always encourage our youth leaders with on Wednesday nights is not to underestimate the power of a small moment in conversation with a kid in the youth ministry. And just recently, we had an example of this where one of our students uh, had actually like sprained their wrist. And I remember messaging our leader team saying, hey, would you guys be praying for him? And then we have life groups that happen on Wednesdays. We call them crew groups. And his leader actually says, hey, you know, what? I'm going to call their parents and actually just reach out. And they have like this 20-minute phone call where a part of it's talking about the injury, uh, about how school is going, about how friends, 15, 20 minutes. And then that's kind of all that there is. But what was so encouraging after that was the encouraging impact it had on the student and also on the parents. Why? Because they thought, man, my kid was encouraged and someone noticed that he was going through this. And on the face value, that's a really small moment in conversation that we can have, right? And yet it had a big impact. The next illustration that James uses in this passage is a rudder on a ship. And I want to start off with a story real quick. And we're going to have a picture on the screen that starts this off right here. Uh, this is my wife, Joy. And this is her as the captain of a boat. You thought, hey, I thought she teaches music and does worship. Well, yes, she does this too. But no, a couple months ago, she was starting the school year off. And if you're in education, any teachers out there today? Okay, awesome, praying for you guys. Uh, it's a big thing. And I remember that Joy has what's called like a professional development day or different districts call them different things. But she goes back early and says, you know, I'm a little bummed out because today I don't get to work in my classroom. We have to go offsite for a staff training. And I'm like, oh, that, that is a bummer. Yeah, like what's your offsite staff training? And she says, oh, we have to spend the day sailing the Puget Sound. And for me, I remember hearing that and I'm thinking like, man, like, that sounds awesome. Like, Pastor Nick, can you take us sailing? Like, that would be a great time. And I remember, <laughs> yes, sir. Thank you, sir. I remember being like very like, my gosh, like, I wish I could be out there. And I'm getting text updates from her. She's saying like, yeah, I got to like steer the boat. And we got to like hoist the sails while singing sea shanties. And, you know, it's like, man, those are just like, that sounds like a lot of fun, right? But what's cool about this story, though, is the fact that she got to also steer the wheel of the boat and, impact, and, and determine its direction and where it's going. James uses this illustration of our tongue being like the rudder of a ship. And he says that even though the winds are strong, 
The tongue can help determine and direct where that boat is going. When you read more about this passage, we can understand that the wind that is described is actually a comparison to the trials and the temptations that you and I will face in this life. And the picture that James is painting for us is that for some of us in this room, when we go through a trial, when our emotions flare up, when we're feeling tempted, that it's those outside factors that then direct the course of our life, our situations, and our speech. And the picture that James paints for us is that the tongue, even though the winds are strong, if used properly, has the power to direct us through those moments in life well. A question to process through and reflect on for yourself is this. Is your speech surrendered to Jesus? Or is it surrendered to the daily trials and temptations that you face? Here's a few examples of what I mean. Is your speech circled around complaining and focusing on the things that you don't have but you wish you did? Do you give in to the temptation to gossip and tear other people down and spread rumors because it helps you feel better about yourself? Do you justify the negative things that you've said in your life because if only you knew what they said or did to me, you know that they deserve it? Are you self-centered in your conversations and prideful and boasting about the latest, greatest things that you bought or that's going on in your life? Are you harsh with others in your conversations and justify it by saying statements such as, well, I'm just not afraid to speak the truth and say what needs to be said? Do you have a hard time reigning in your temper and saying things to others that cut them deep to the heart so that you can come out on top? The reason I ask these questions today is because they reveal some different aspects of our character that might need some work, that might need the power of the Holy Spirit to move in our heart and help us to change in these areas. Because for many of us in this room, if we answer yes to one or more of these questions, I believe that points to an area of our life where we need Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit to do something transformational in our hearts. And the good thing is about this is that we serve a loving and gracious God who is ready to forgive, who is ready to equip us to begin to live the life that he has called us to. Our words are meant to shine light and encouragement to the world that is around us. And God wants to help us get to that point. But it begins with acknowledging, hey, there are some areas of my life where the boat isn't being steered by Christ, but the boat is being steered by outside factors and things I'm navigating through. A ship that is directed by the wind will eventually sink and be destroyed. Which is why the next thing I would encourage you to write down is this. The tongue brings about destruction. In verse 5 through 8, James says, But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your life on fire, for it itself is set on fire by hell. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. See, this illustration that James uses is of a small spark that can set a whole forest on fire. 
And as I was reflecting on this passage and thinking about it, I was reminded of another time uh, when I was in high school. You're thinking, your high school experience must have been crazy. It was interesting. And there was one fateful 4th of July. And my brother, my cousin, and myself, along with the supervision of an adult, okay, so like this was all supervised when this happened, uh, were lighting off fireworks in my parents' backyard. And it was about 98 degrees outside. And on the back of my parents' property, they had like these 30 trees, uh, and they're like the tall, skinny, evergreen, like privacy trees. Uh, one of my friends once described them to me as I hate my neighbor trees. <laughs> so I thought that seemed fitting, right? Uh, what's going on back there? Well, you don't get to know, so it's a secret. But I remember my parents have these trees that have grown up, and we light off a firework. And what happens is just a few small sparks land in these trees. And before I know it, we start to hear this crackling noise, and I think, like, what is that? We start to see smoke. Then we start to see fire. And before I know it, 15 of those 30 trees were gone in about a minute. They just went up in flames, toast, gone, bye, not coming back. And the reason I shared this story is, one, because it's funny. You can laugh at me. But two, the fact that it highlights the destruction that the tongue can bring. In some moments in our life, we might only say a few words. We might even just say, oh, well, it was just sarcasm. It was just a joke. It's not a big deal. Or maybe they just need to toughen up, whatever it could be. And yet those words that you and I use can tear someone down and destroy a relationship. It can also destroy our own life. When James says that the tongue is set on fire by hell, really what he's getting at is that the tongue is set on fire by our sinful nature. We have to remember that we are sinful and broken people. And one of the ways in which that manifests itself in our life commonly is through the things that we say. It's why James says no one can control the tongue because our sinful nature begins to dominate the things that we say and makes it hard to control it. It brings about a great destruction that the enemy greatly rejoices in. And yet with God's help, it can also bring about a great source of encouragement and edification and love and shining the light of Jesus to the world around us. It's why we find this instruction in the book of Proverbs 13.3. says, those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. Some of us just need to underline that and then go home. Let's be honest. But it's true. It highlights again this theme throughout scripture that our tongue and our speech and the things we say have a great capability of bringing destruction in our life. That's why James and Proverbs both encourage us to tame or control the tongue. And you might hear this and think, well, doesn't James say no one can control the tongue? Like, what is that all about? How can I control it? Simply what this verse is stating and what James is emphasizing is that on our own power, we cannot control the tongue. By ourselves and our sinful nature, there's nothing you and I can really do to improve the root cause because at the end of the day, it's a heart issue that needs the transforming work of Jesus to be at play. As we continue on, we see that James begins to address this issue of the heart. If the tongue determines direction and has the potential to bring destruction, what do you and I do? And James begins to address this. Chapter 3, verses 9 through 12, James says that the tongue is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. 
Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives and a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. See, in this passage, what James does is he calls out people who profess to be believers in Jesus and then tear other people down with their speech. How I like to think about this is imagine you're here on a Sunday morning. Well, I guess you don't have to imagine that too hard. Here you are. And you're worshiping. You got your hands raised. You hear a message. You're nice to your neighbor during meet and greet. And then you walk out to the lobby. You find your friends and you start to gossip about how bad the person next to you sounded during worship. Those two things don't work well together. James would go so far as to say that, hey, blessing God and then cursing someone else with the same mouth, that's not okay. If you believe in Jesus and he has transformed your heart and you are truly living your life surrendered to him, then you need to stop. James, and if you read this passage, you can almost start to feel the emotion and the frustration that he feels for these people. In our lives, I believe that what many of us need to do is to begin to seek God's help in our heart, to begin to invite the Holy Spirit into those areas where we need him. James continues on speaking to the issues of the, of the heart and also contrasting wisdom of the world to God's wisdom in this passage. In James 3, 13 through 18, he says, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, where did it go? Sorry, <laughs> I need to get my prescription updated apparently. If there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and, every, and evil of every kind. But then this next part. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. See, the reason I believe that James brings wisdom into this conversation is, number one, it's very applicable, right, to the decisions that we make about how to love and follow Jesus and live out our faith. But the wisdom of the world really impacts how we decide to speak and use our speech in the world around us. The wisdom of the world would say, speak whatever is in your heart. The wisdom of the world would say, hey, save whatever that person deserves because of what they did. The wisdom of the world would say, hey, it's okay to gossip as, you know, as long as it's only a little bit and they don't find out about it, then it's really quite harmless. The wisdom of the world would say, hey, it's okay to brag and boast about the latest thing you bought and the stuff you have because it makes you feel good. And yet the wisdom from above that James highlights is pure. The wisdom from above is peaceful it's loving, it's gentle, it yields to others, it shows mercy, and it is sincere. I think many of us, we can hear this message today, and we can begin to reflect on the things that we've said in our life. And we can sometimes look to relationships that are damaged, we can look to things we maybe even said this morning as we're getting out the door trying to get the kids ready and whatever happened. 
it can be easy to look at this message and begin to feel convicted. And I do think a level of conviction is healthy. And we can start to ask questions of, man, well, what about my speech needs to change? How can I be more encouraging? How can I be more kind? How can I be more gentle in the things that I say? And yet, I think that's actually the wrong question to begin with. Rather than asking, what about my speech needs to change? I believe that you and I need to start asking the question of what in my heart needs to change. Because what James identifies here in this passage when he talks about how a spring can't bring forth both fresh and bitter water at the same time is that your heart will ultimately produce what is inside, your character, the things you are struggling with and dealing with. It's why Jesus says in Luke 6.45, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The question isn't what about your speech needs to change, but the question is, man, what in my heart needs to change. That's why today, if you're taking notes, I believe this to be true. A transformed heart produces transformed speech. As James says, we cannot tame the tongue due to our own sinful nature. Not on our own, not without help. And the good news for you and I today is that we serve a God who wants to continue to do a transformational work in our heart every single day of our life. All it begins with for you and I is being willing to daily surrender to Jesus and to say, God, you know, as I reflect on your word today, God, as I reflect on my relationships, God, as I reflect on the things I've said and done, I'm starting to realize that there's things I've maybe said that weren't in alignment with you, that didn't honor and glorify Jesus or shine his light well. And the encouraging thing for you and I is that we serve a God who is loving and gracious, whose mercies are new every single morning. And if you think, man, I've said too much, I've done too much to change, I would actually combat that and say that through God's mercy and grace and through his love and through the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, you can begin to change. You can begin to use your words to build other people up, to shine the light of Jesus, but a step that it begins with is something called repentance. You see, when Jesus gave his life for you and I on the cross, our next thing is simply, man, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, then we will be saved. But part of that confession is acknowledging a need for a savior. There's a piece of repentance that has to be at work in our life. And it's more than just from the first moment you accept Jesus, but it's an ongoing daily thing. Jesus, today, I forget, like, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my mistakes and my missteps. And what better way for us to begin repenting today than when we look at our life and see the things that we need to repent of in our speech. Today, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. One of the first things that we need to do is we need to repent and ask God to change our heart. That really is the first layer of this conversation about speech. As you reflect about your life and your current heart right now, is there a sense of pride within you that is fueling the things you say, the things you brag about? Is there an anger that hasn't been dealt with, that's been deeply rooted for a while? And Jesus is saying, hey, let me begin to do a work with that. Is it a deep-seated hurt or bitterness that God needs to bring forgiveness and healing to? Is it simply a discontent with what God has blessed you with in this life that has led you to complaining and focusing on the things you don't have? 
If gossip or slander is an issue, is it a deep-rooted insecurity that has led you to feel the need to tear other people down? If that is you today, inviting Jesus in to those parts of your heart, inviting the work of the Holy Spirit to do something transformational is your very first step. And the next step is this, to use your words to bring life. I wonder how many of us, again, can think about relationships and family where there's broken bridges, things that aren't going well, people we're maybe not speaking to, or even it could be someone else in your family and God's leading you to sow seeds of peace with the things you say. What would it look like for you to use your life, use your words to bring life? At the end of this chapter, James says, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. How is God leading you to plant seeds of peace? Today, would you bow your heads, close your eyes? I just wanna pray for you. And the first thing I would love to do in this prayer, simply if you're here today and you would say, man, there are areas of my heart where I need to repent that have led to things I've said I'm not proud of, that have led to broken relationships, that have led to things that I regret. Let me again encourage you that God is ready and willing to do a work in your heart and life. And it begins with saying, Jesus, today, I just need to repent of where I haven't honored you. And if that is you today, I'd love just to pray for you. And if you wouldn't mind, would you just slip your hand up just so I can know who I'm praying for? If that's you today, awesome. Jesus, thank you so much for your love and your grace. God, I thank you that when we boldly come before you and God admit our need for a savior, God, that you meet us with love and grace, but God, also the empowerment of your Holy Spirit to help us change. God, I pray that you would do a transformational work, God, not only in my heart today, but God, in the hearts of those in this room today, Lord, who would say there's things in my life that are not in alignment with you that are fueling the way I speak. God, I pray that you would move in this room and in all of our hearts, transform our hearts, help us to use our speech to sow seeds of peace. We pray this in Jesus' name today. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.